This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids, the podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now, please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. If you hear a little extra perk in my voice today, it's because <laughs> we are talking to a guest that not just Galactic Space Geek Jeff wants to talk to, every one of you wants to hear from her. Yes, you are exactly correct. What problem are we solving today? How do you fly a helicopter on Mars? How do you fly a helicopter on Mars? This is the question that I've had for a long time. Remember, Jeff, one of our previous episodes with Brian Franz, we actually talked about how to drive a rover on Mars, and that was before the helicopter flew, so now I can't wait. That's right. Who's our guest today, Jeff? Our guest today is the wonderful Miss Carrie Bean. She is currently a senior systems engineer with Sierra Space, and she spent the previous decade working with NASA on multiple missions, including the Mars Ingenuity Helicopter. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Hello. We are so thrilled to have you because um, we're going to get to talk about one of the things that both Jeff and I have watched with very much excitement. (laughs) But I'm going to start with the question that I love. As a kid, did you dream of one day helping to work on a helicopter that would fly on another planet? I actually started out as a total weather geek. I was obsessed with watching the Weather Channel. And I grew up in Texas where we had severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. And I also lived in South Carolina where I had to evacuate from hurricanes. I was going to say hurricanes. Weather was a huge (laughs) impact in my life. And so I always thought I would be a meteorologist. And there's so many options with meteorology. You can be the storm chaser. You could be the person on TV. You can work at the National Weather Service. Or, you know, there's so many different options. I didn't really know, but I figured that was where I was going to go. Okay. So then in high school, my family was doing the whole Disney World vacation in Florida. Right. And we happened to be there the week of a space shuttle launch. Oh, Ah. yeah. Yeah. And so my family decided we're going to skip for that day. We're going to drive out and go watch the space shuttle launch. And as I saw it rise above the horizon, you know, it's like, maybe space is cool. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I went to space camp and started really getting into space. And then I hit the decision point of what do I do about college now? Right. Do I become a meteorologist? Do I study aerospace engineering? Do I study astrophysics? Like there's so many options with space. Yes. And I finally decided to settle that I would go into meteorology because 
all of those degrees all start out with just basic math and science for the first yes. two years. Yes. Sure. And so I could easily change my mind later without really losing much progress. So I okay. decided to go study right. weather. And so I went to go visit. I decided to go to Texas A&M University, which has a wonderful meteorology program. That's a very good school. Yeah. Yes. And so I went to go visit and I was wearing a NASA hoodie. And one of the professors said, hey, do you like NASA? And I'm like, yeah, space stuff is pretty cool. And they're like, well, you should go talk to this Dr. Mark Lemon guy. I don't know what he does, but it's space stuff and it's cool. Okay. <laughs> he studied the weather on other planets. Oh, hello. <laughs> Intersection exactly. of your two things. <laughs> exactly. And so at that point, I immediately knew that's what I wanted to do. Yep. So I sent him a long email of like, oh, my gosh, I really love this. Like, can I please talk? <laughs> and literally my first week of college, he brought me in and I was listening into the planning meetings for the Spirit and Opportunity Mars Rovers. And I had no oh idea what was going gosh. on. There's tons of acronyms and everything. I had no idea. But I was <laughs> yes. like, okay, this is cool. I'm addicted. And so that's how I got into studying space with robots. That's a fabulous I, story. That's a I fabulous story. I love that. And I love just how much you jumped into. Yeah. As soon as Jennifer asked the question, you were like, it was weather. I loved watching <laughs> it. I loved watching the news. I loved watching out, watching the weather go by outside. And then as soon as you find out at college about weather on other planets and you get into one me, okay, I'm in. I love that. That's awesome. You sound just like a grown-up kid of you know, as soon as you like something, you like it all the way. Yep. And that sounds very exciting. So could you then connect us? We don't always ask the question. Could you then connect us? Did you end up going straight from college to working for NASA? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh... And what was your first job with NASA? Yeah. So when I started at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, I started out full time on the Dawn mission, which was actually at okay. the time heading to the dwarf planet Ceres. And ah. now you may think, well, it's an asteroid orbiter. What does that have to do with weather? <laughs> well, what I really got interested in working in all these missions in college was what we called science operations. And so you're kind of that okay. interface between the scientists and the engineers. I had right. the science background to say, okay, this scientist needs this type of data to be able to do their analysis. Right. Where then I could speak to the engineers and say, hey, we need to write the code that's going to go to the spacecraft and take this observation. Wow. And so I started in that area. So migrating from kind of scientists doing research and publishing papers in college yep. to then working in the science operations. Wow. And a lot of it was actually very similar to how we operate the Mars rovers. It's just on a different time scale. The rovers were planning on right. nearly a daily basis, whereas the orbiters and other deep space missions, you're looking at maybe like a month of activities at a time instead of right. you know, that kind of daily cadence. Okay. So a lot of the process was the same, just the time scale was different. So it actually felt very familiar, even though it was a completely different, you know, planet, essentially. Right. But at the end of that, I was still missing Mars a bit. And so once Dawn was starting to, you know, get towards the end of its life, I went back to the Mars rover folks and said, hey, what have you got? Well, JPL, they actually don't do a lot of the science. It's actually done a lot by 
other university professors and students right. around the world. And so they were like, do you want to join the engineering team? I'm sure you could learn engineering. It's fine. <laughs> um, and so that began my career change into becoming really more an engineer than a scientist. Ah. And started out with kind of some basic engineering, what we call sequencing. So this is making the sequence of events that the robot okay. do for the day. Yes. And then slowly migrating over to kind of running the day-to-day process for the rovers of making sure, you know, the cameras are not going to conflict with taking a picture of something else at this yes. time. And, right, right. You know, do we have enough power to do all of these activities? And, you know, just kind of that management of the rover. And then they said, hey, we're actually having trouble finding Mars rover drivers for opportunity because everyone wants to go drive the like new shiny rovers and build Perseverance at the time. Right. Uh-huh. Want to learn how to drive a Mars rover? Oh. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Right. That is a, yes. Raise your hand. I mean, there's no question. That's a yes. Oh my gosh. So what did that entail driving? Like, of course we're all imagining, you know, driving with your steering wheel. Is that actually what you do? What do you do? No. So we typically only plan for the rover like every couple of days. And so the rover has to be able to do it all by itself. So as rover drivers, We usually look at the pictures from the previous day and we can see kind of a 3D view around us. Okay. And then the scientists come and say, hey, we're really interested in this rock. Can you drive us up to this rock? And so we'll look at the train and say, yes, we can safely drive over there or no, there's really big boulders in the way. We're going to have to go around. The rovers also can't really handle sand dunes that well. So if there's maybe some sandy patches, we're like, okay. okay, we need to also divert around or attack okay. at a different angle so we don't get stuck, you know, so we'll kind of think through what would it take to get to that destination. Right. The rover drivers are also responsible for operating the robotic arms as well. Okay. And so okay. there's usually someone dedicated to kind of driving the rover for the day. And then someone also dedicated to like moving the robotic arm around again, working with the scientists very closely of the scientists say, Hey, this rock particularly interesting can you do this observation with the robotic right. arm on it right and then you have to safely figure out how can you position the arm without smacking it into the ground smacking it into the rover you know <laughs> we want to be safe right we want to keep using the robotic arm yeah kind of it's it's a little hard <laughs> yeah. to replace you know yep. yeah it's probably good yep. if you so mm-hmm. like can you think about or explain spatially like so when you're looking at it, are you looking forward so you can see if it's moving forward and back or, you know, so I'm wondering how hard that is for you being here on earth and being that far away. And also how long does it take when you say go forward? How long does it take the rover to move? Yeah. So we generally develop what we call a sequence. So it's just basically a list of commands that say, do this and do that. And then okay. do this. And so as for the robotic arm, you may say, unstow the robotic arm, move it to this joint angle, move this to this joint angle, put it down on the ground, point the instrument this way, turn on the instrument, like it's a list of things. And kind of the same for driving it of we can be very specific of maybe, you know, turn 30 degrees, go forward so many steps, turn another 30 degrees. Wow. Wow. We also have a lot of what we call autonomy on the rover, so it can think for itself. And so if we feel comfortable, we can also be like, 
there's that rock in the distance, you figure out how to drive there. And the oh. rover will actually do its own analysis and take pictures and figure out how to drive itself to the rock. And so we can kind of vary in between of how safe or adventurous we want the rover to be. Okay. And then we'll send that batch of commands and the rover has a whole bunch of onboard checking that it can do. So if it determines it's stalling up against a rock or something is unsafe, it can stop itself. And then it will send a message back home to Earth saying, hey, I messed something up, you know. Help, help. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then, you know, the next day we'll come in, we'll see that. We'll be like, okay, this happened. Here's how we can react to it. Keep going. Okay. So, that's so, so cool. Yes. So cool. Yeah, that's very few jobs are going to beat that in terms of what do you do? For your job. That's really cool. (laughs) And so many people are interested in it. I would like to know, during your time as a rover driver, was there a particularly memorable, whether it be scientific project that like a, a really interesting rock or searching for water or a certain drilling that happened, or maybe a particularly like, uh-oh, we're into a problem, we have to fix it. Was there a particularly memorable day that you were the one driving the rover that you can kind of tell us about? Yeah. So one of the cool things we get to do as rover drivers is we can name things. And now these aren't oh. like official names. You know, you're not going to find them in like a book somewhere <laughs> yeah. or anything. Like the but- Jen Swanson rock, right? Like, you know. <laughs> I take that. <laughs> so I always like to use fun names. So there was one that maybe looked like a meteorite, so I called it maybe Space Chunk Boy. You know, okay. I like to use fun names. But we had this traditional opportunity that we also named rocks after either new family members. So if you had like a niece or a nephew that was born, you named a rock oh, after them. Nice. Or if you unfortunately had a family member pass away, you could also name them after that. And so I always had it in my head that the first time I got to do the drive, I was going to find a rock and name it after my grandmother, who was very supportive of me and unfortunately passed away when I was in high school. And so sure enough, that day came, I got to name that rock. It was very exciting. But the more exciting part is that the scientists decided to do a drill campaign next to that rock. Really? So... Yeah. And so we like drove away and then we came back. And typically at the end of a drill campaign, we take a selfie with the rover as kind of a nice little documentation of what it looks like. And sure enough, in that selfie is my grandmother's rock. Oh, what a great picture. Wonderful. I got that one printed out very big and it's hanging on my wall here at home. (laughs) That's a really great story. Okay, so driving the rover is cool. I'm just imagining that you have t-shirts, right? Like I drove the Mars <laughs> rover, right? We are also having our own driver's licenses, uh, you know? There you go. I, I'd wear that everywhere. But now I want to talk about the other cool thing, which is the helicopter. But here's my question to you. So as a weather person flying this helicopter on another planet, like what are some of the things you have to think? think about with that? Yeah. So 
that was one thing that really attracted me to working on Ingenuity is it was a combination of all these rover driver skills I had learned and the Martian meteorology stuff that I had learned in college. So it was a great combination. And so that was super exciting. And we actually had a scientist who became our like dedicated Martian weather forecaster. And I was like the only <laughs> other person on the team who could like understand what he was talking about. That's a great Excellent. line on your Say. resume, right? That's a great line on your resume. Martian meteorologist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was just really exciting because especially where Perseverance landed and brought ingenuity is a really dusty and windy area. Like almost every picture that you see that Perseverance has taken, there is a dust devil in it. Yep. And so that was really exciting from the meteorologist perspective of, oh, you know, we get to see all of this. And so, you know, that's certainly something we had to take into account with ingenuity is we want to fly at some of the calmer times of day. So we used our weather station to take lots of observations for days before we would fly for the first couple of times just to see what the trends were like. When is the windy part of the day? When's kind of the calmer part of the day? Okay. And try to plan to fly around those times. Wow. Okay. And I would love to know, I've never spoken to somebody as close to ingenuity as you. I was thrilled that it was going there as a test project from years back once I heard about it. I would like to know, just from you personally, not the whole team or anything, I know it was sent up there as a, this is a complete test project. We have no idea if this is going to work. We obviously hope so. Did you think from even before the first flight, did you know it was going to work? Did you think it was going to work on Mars and there would be more than one flight? Knowing how JPL engineers work, I was pretty sure it was going to work. Okay. You know, we're pretty dedicated in that regard. Um, Very much so. You know, yeah. You know, opportunity lasted 14 years out of yes. a 90-day mission. Right. right? Yeah, yes. so exactly. And you seem to be sure. able to fix every problem that comes up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yes, 90 days times 14 years. Wow. And curiosity, you know, when they built and sent Perseverance, it seems like the civilian world just kind of forgot Curiosity still up there working. Like yeah. there's two of them. So I have never had a chance to ask whether or not you guys were, you know, really pretty sure this was going to work. But now Ingenuity has passed 50 flights up there. Can you tell us a little bit about your perceptions of like the science and, okay, it was a test, but now it's like a legit experiment up there. How's it going? Yeah, it's been really exciting to see the Ingenuity mission change over time, where those first couple flights were just seeing, what is it like flying on Mars? We can always model it here on Earth, but you never really know because we can't calculate the gravity that well. Meteorology can change very quickly, you know, that sort of thing. So it's been really fun. The first couple flights really just kind of testing our envelope of what can we do. Right. And then... Now it's supporting Perseverance to actually scout ahead for the rover. Yeah. So yes, basically exactly. testing a future operations concept. If we were to send, you know, a rover and a helicopter buddy, does that make the rover mission more efficient? Right. There was a particular set of observations and flights that Ingenuity did 
where the science team identified from one of our images from orbit some really interesting rocks in the middle of sand dunes. And as right. I mentioned earlier, ah. rovers are not very good at sand dunes. Right. right. And so they actually used ingenuity to fly out and find a path to those rocks that the rover oh. could safely drive on. And so that was really when the science team latched on to the idea that ingenuity could really help the rover. Wow. Um, Excellent. And so now as Perseverance and Ingenuity are climbing out of Jezero Crater, the helicopter is scouting ahead to help figure out what's the safest, most efficient way that the rover can climb up out of this crater. And right. so it's really exciting to see how the mission has evolved over time. That's wow. awesome. So I worked at a space museum and I used to teach kids about the rovers and how they drive around and what you do even before I met you. So this is super exciting. And I used to talk about how eventually there would be Martian GPS and like Google Mars so you could figure out where you need. And never when I was talking about it, did I think that the Ingenuity helicopter has kind of become that for perseverance now it's basically dictating like this is the best route this is the way you want to go that's yep. such a neat thing yeah it's pretty exciting we have a little bit of an idea from our mars orbiters in particular one right. called the mars reconnaissance orbiter right. which has a very big telescope and camera on it that can spy down on mars and so once we kind of know where we're going to send the rovers we take some very detailed high resolution color imaging there and even then, it's still not that great. Right. You know, we can yes. make out the it's rovers. It's still from orbit. Yeah. Yeah. We can make out the rovers, but they're like, you know, a pixel or two across. They're right. not that big. So you're not going to see those like smaller hazards that would actually, you know, a rock that might affect the rover. Right. Yeah. So ingenuity is that nice gap between the rover exactly. appearing and taking pictures Fantastic. and that orbit image. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, were you there in the control room the first time that Ingenuity flew? Yeah, they had it split between What two of was the that rooms. like? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was actually really funny. So I was not in the one that had all the cameras in it. That was for the like a smaller subset of the Ingenuity yes. team. Yes. But we all had, you know, our telemetry screens up to look at the data coming back. Right. And, you know, our group chat of like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> and they were very specific of you cannot celebrate. Even if you see the data come in, you can't, you know, get excited and celebrate until the specific person says the specific phrase. <laughs> Except, it's all the PR moment. Yes. Someone in our group chat started posting the video of Ingenuity flying oh. before the telemetry. And the guy said the thing. So we had to be there, like, yeah. very serious. <laughs> like, oh wow. That, I mean, that, you know, and this is years and years and years in the making, too. So, you know, waiting for all of this to happen. That had to be so incredible to watch engineering and be a part of that team that flew a helicopter on another planet you know and then you know so I guess my question is kind of like what's next after that for you I know you move jobs and whatever but this is really cool tell us a little bit about what you're doing now if you can yeah so I was looking for a little bit of change of pace again kind of 
you hit the, you hit the mountain. <laughs> exactly. You know, I became a Mars rover driver. I helped fly a helicopter on yeah. Mars. You know, what's next? And one thing that I always thought I would never be able to do was work in the human spaceflight program. Because again, I was oh. like, I'm a scientist, yes. right? Yes. Well, sure. over time, I really delved into engineering. And even though I don't have an engineering degree, I don't do science anymore. I haven't published a paper in a really long time. <laughs> and I've been doing what we call generally flight operations for quite a while on all these different missions and on the engineering side, on the science side, you know, right. trying out all these different roles. And I always felt like I get bored if I stop learning. And so yes. that's okay. part of why I've started learning all of these new things. Yes. I don't know engineering. I want to try it out. I want to learn these things. Well, I happened to see this opportunity come up to switch to a company called Sierra Space, which is working on the Dream Chaser space plane. And yes. I've always been a fan of the program. And I would be able to join their flight operations team. Wow. And nice. So I am now on the mech flight controller. So this is responsible for all of the mechanisms. So anything that moves on Dream Chaser, our console is responsible for it. Wow. So okay. We actually, you know, once we launch, you're going to see me sitting in mission control on console, you know. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that's one other object in space that you get to fly. I mean, come on. That's or yeah. drive or whatever. That's going to be so cool. Yeah. yeah so and, we'll have cargo missions to the International Space Station soon and mm -hmm. then eventually astronauts. And so I think it's just really fascinating that I've learned enough that now I can work in the human spaceflight program working in mechanicals. I'm not a mechanical engineer by, you know, by school training at least exactly from that and they really loved all the flight operations experience that I had in all different aspects and they even are like interested in the weather forecasting because <laughs> okay they have to worry about it's, earth weather yes, everybody so does yeah it's really great that you know they really saw everything that I had worked on so far and said hey you know we would love to have you and so I've been really just diving into the work I've only been about two months now but Okay. It's just really been fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it sounds fabulous. Wonderful. I am a huge Dream Chaser fan. Made a kids magazine about it. And I live in Colorado. So I am a Sierra Space fan as well. And I am excited for when those cargo missions start going because I know that the human missions will follow not too far behind those. And I know we've been talking a little while. I do want to ask, because you have done so many cool things, and we've only talked about a few of them, but I mean, they really are pinnacle cool things in the space world. Is there something, whether it be with Sierra Space, with Dream Chaser, or maybe even looking further to the future, is there a next sort of pinnacle moment that you're chasing? Right now, I think it's just uh, waiting for the Dream Chaser launch. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, yeah. We're, we're coming up here exciting. in the not-too-distant future. And so I think that's pretty exciting. After that, you know, everyone's always asked, you know, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? And every time I answer, 
it's never been that and it's always been something better. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No? Well, don't bother answering. I mean, the space something industry is changing so fast and technology is allowing us to do so many things that it's kind of probably hard to predict like what is going to be down the road and what you think might be 10 years away might be only five you know, depending on things or longer, like you could go the other way. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty exciting place to be and you are doing some really amazing things. Yes. We are at that time in our show where we ask our guests to give our listeners a challenge. What is your challenge for us, Carrie? Yeah, I think you should go online and look up the videos of Ingenuity flying on Mars. Mm, which is ah, super yes. exciting yes and on top of that there was a series of videos that they took while perseverance was landing on mars and so you can actually see perseverance landing on mars wow. using our sky crane system yeah. and they are some of the coolest videos i have ever seen in my life so oh my gosh Agreed. Yes. go take a look yeah. Well, and we will probably put links to these videos on our website, solveforkids.com. So check that out on the episode where we have Carrie. But this has been such an exciting and fun conversation. Thank you so much for being on Solve for Kids, Carrie. Thank you for having me. This is one of those episodes that really highlights why space is so cool and so broadly loved among so many different people. Flying a helicopter over the surface of another planet, and they didn't know it was going to work. It went up there as a test, and as of this recording, they have done more than 50 5-0 flights with the Ingenuity helicopter. This is going to change planetary exploration for all of the future. Absolutely. And I mean, also, can we just stop for a second and talk about how mind-boggling this is, right? The physics that are involved in trying to figure out how to fly yes. this and get it to work. And it and didn't the engineering. just work. Well, and it didn't just work once, which they thought maybe, ooh, maybe we'll get a couple flights. It's, as yep. of you said, as of this recording, it's still flying. It's so It is a workhorse up there now. Incredible to see um that i mean i don't know i just love watching all the videos what do you think oh absolutely watching the videos learning from carrie how they transitioned from just knowing that it could fly and knowing it it could fly in all the ways they wanted it to to transition into it is now becoming a scout for the perseverance rover to know where it's going and it's helping the rover mission as well it has completely transformed robotic exploration on Mars now. There's a whole new dimension. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and she said now they're actually planning if they're going to send more rovers to Mars or right. somewhere else, they might always include some type of helicopter. It's amazing. So that's your challenge, everybody. Go out and watch some of yes. these amazing videos and maybe share with us kind of what you think or you know, hey, maybe you design your own That's helicopter. Bingo. You, you know, we would love to hear from you. We are at KidSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also, don't forget, have a website, solveforkids.com. So go there and check it out. You'll see some videos 
of the helicopter on there. You'll learn more about Carrie and we'll even have a couple of books and some resources for you to learn more. Hopefully, I will remember to continue recording episodes with Jennifer because I will be busy watching all of the flight <laughs> videos from the Ingenuity helicopter. But hopefully, until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve, Solve It for, for Kids! kids. Thank you.